Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Tonight, Dr. Corbett looks at what it takes to become a Jeremiah, a prophet to the nations. Uh, I've, I've broken the book of Jeremiah into six sections. The first section was his call, which went from chapter 1 to 11. And then the next section, which has gone from chapter 12 to 28, has been Jeremiah's complaint, where we've seen that Jeremiah had started off with some, I, I, I think, some pretty reasonable complaints about his end of the deal. And so just when you think, you know, you've, you've kind of got it figured, God comes along and says, you haven't even begun. I've heard people say, you know, to walk with God, you've got to switch off your head, stop using your brain and just trust with your heart. Rubbish. Rubbish. Believe in your heart and let your brain begin to be stretched. To, to begin to comprehend the incomprehensible God. It's not that you think too much that God's a problem for you. It's that you can't think enough that God's a problem for you. So don't you dare come to me and say, my brain keeps getting in the way. <clears throat> like, yeah, no. We need to allow God to stretch us in both heart and mind. So we see this response. In this life, we are called to trust God, even though... He doesn't, he doesn't seem fair. Trust him anyway. The interesting thing is that God just kind of gets Jeremiah going again. Tells him to prophesy halfway through this chapter. Prophesy about the sword of the Lord. So from verse 7 down to 13, he, he gets Jeremiah going again. And this is going to be a point I'm going to make. He says, I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. Jeremiah 12, 7. And we ask the question, here's Jeremiah saying, you know, I'm complaining to you, God. And God says, you finished? Done? All right, come on, let's get going again. Prophesy this. And God's outraged. And the question is, why was God outraged? And Jeremiah, over the next few chapters, is going to give three broad reasons why God was so outraged. Now, I know that there are people that will tell you God is love and love looks like Santa Claus. Love looks like God being a fat, jolly guy who just sits around and smiles a lot. Now, I've discovered that God is indeed love, but I've discovered that God is also a God who cares deeply about how we live. He cares deeply about the things we treat as important. And when we get those things wrong, we are falling into these three errors. The first one is idolatry. So why was Jeremiah conveying the outrage of God? Because God was outraged over the people making things more important than him. That's called idolatry. The second thing they were doing is they were ignorant. They were choosing to ignore, ignorant, to ignore scripture. Ignore it. And thirdly, when, and it's a logical progression, by the way, they had become immoral. Now, man, how do we... Look, today, we're battling the same sort of thing in our culture. If someone could please give me some counsel on how we can address a culture that loves to be idolatrous, that loves to be ignorant, and absolutely celebrates immorality. And here we are going, hey, everything you're thinking and doing that, that is anti-God is really, really wrong. 
How do you present that message and be popular? Someone's got some counsel for me. I'd really love it because when we start to say that God's ideal looks like you, you have nothing more important than him in your life. That's called worship, not idolatry. When, when we say, look, the word of God is not a book of myths and legends. It actually is the word of God. It can be trusted. It can be relied upon. You can shape your life and guide your life from the contents of this book. And thirdly, your body, your sexuality really does matter. It really does matter. Boy, if you've got some counsel for me how I can present that to a society and still remain popular, I'd, I'd just love to hear it. Okay, so the last section of chapter 12, we saw God gets Jeremiah to prophesy not just about Jerusalem, but about surrounding nations. God's not just the God of Israel. God's the God of Egypt. He's the God of Syria. He's the God of Assyria. He's the God of Babylon. He's the God of India. He's the God of Nigeria. He's the God of Australia. He's the God of England. He's not just the white man's God. He's the black man's God. He's the... He's the, I'm trying to think of skin colour, but um, I, 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 I just struck, I was in Salamanca Place yesterday and I saw this 60-year-old bloke going down the crowd with green hair and I was thinking, not skin colour, but hair colour. So God is the God of green-haired people. God is the God of bright orange-haired people. God is the God of old, older um, people who have blue rents through their hair and let's move on. And so God is, God is God. Praise the Lord. And when Jeremiah is talking about God's discipline on the nations and God's discipline on Israel, it would be very easy to think that God's discipline meant he was abandoning. But Romans chapter 1, if you read Romans chapter 1, it's actually the other way around. And if you read Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Whom God loves, he disciplines. It's when God's not disciplining you that you should fall to your knees and cry out to God for mercy. And ask him, God, have I done something so atrocious that you're no longer disciplining me? Because God's discipline should not be interpreted as his abandonment. And some people do. Why has God abandoned me? Because he's disciplining me. He's causing my life to go through so much pressure. And again, in Jeremiah 12, we read this Profound statement. After I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them and I will bring them again, each to his heritage and each to his land. So this is the point of discipline. You see, there is a statement that God will one day restore and he did. So God was disciplining Israel, but he was restoring them. So what does this tell us about God's discipline? Well, in the book of Jeremiah, we see this. God's discipline is always, I love this word, redemptive. That is God makes good out of mess. God makes good out of my mistakes. God makes good out of disasters. God makes good out of evil done to me. God is always redemptive. And so the question when we look at this and we look at how indifferent they had become, I have to ask the question, am I indifferent? God, am I indifferent? Is my heart so lukewarm or so cold that I don't care if my neighbour never hears about Jesus and they die and they go to hell for eternity? Because, you know, hell is hot and forever is a long time. 
And if you don't give your life to Christ, those two will coalesce. And I and you and I have the only solution to that, and that is Jesus Christ. Do I care? Do I care about my family? Do I care about my society? Am I ready to give an account to God for what I've done with what he's done in my life? This is the the challenge of Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered how some Old Testament people became prophets? Were they super holy or just really intelligent? If we take the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah as an example, there is a call from God, a command from God, and a work that is done by God through the willing prophet. If you've got your Bibles, you might just want to make your way to Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm just, I'm just going to give you a bit of a, a brief recap on some of the things that we've seen from Jeremiah. And, and I've, I've been looking at Jeremiah over the last little while. And there's, for me, there's, it, it's a very personal thing too. I, I have personal investment in this. And for me, Jeremiah is, is one of those people as well as one of those books that is so important because if you want to know Jesus and if you really want to love Jesus, you know, I know I talk about loving Jesus and loving God a lot and I'm not sorry about that. And if you want to really love Jesus and get to know Jesus more, you're looking for those little nuances. You're looking for those little things that help you to understand who he is and how you can come to know him better. And when he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? They said, some say, this is one of the the top answers, some say you're Jeremiah. And there was a reason for that. Jesus displayed the attributes of Jeremiah that we'll see. Or should I put that the other way? Jeremiah foreshadowed the attributes of Jesus, some of them. We'll see a bit of that journey today. And I want to ask this question, because a part of, part of my thinking is, if Jeremiah was called to be a prophet today, what would he say? And, and my hunch is he probably wouldn't say much different to what he's already said in his word. He would put it in a way that would be culturally contextualised and relevant for where we're at. But to understand that Jeremiah went on a journey himself, and we're going to see part of this journey as well. So here's my question. And and as I get to this chapter of my own life, and and as I was sharing with the home group leaders and the the youth group leaders this morning over breakfast, that with with my recent health scare, it makes you think. And, and, and I didn't come out of the doctor's surgery having been diagnosed with months or weeks to live like some do, but still I came out and I was, I was told, you know, you're millimetres away from being in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. You sit in the car stunned. You think, 
this is a game changer for me. And, and then, of course, I've shared with you how several of you, in, including Ronnie Darby and others, laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I went back to the specialist and the medical reports showed drastic change uh, for the positive. Not, not completely healed, but some of the, the major aspects of that healed. But in the process of that, you think through, boy, you know, what, what if... What if God took me from being pastor of this church? What, what, what have I left? What, what have, what, what's here? And, and I hope there's enough of a flame that, that, is, that is just perhaps it's, it's just there burning in the hearts of particularly young men. And I do want to see young men and young women begin to develop a, a passion for Christ that's not geeky, it's not silly, it's not disconnected from reality, but it's a passion to say, Jesus, I want to love you by serving you with the gifts you've given me in the arena that you place me in. And for some, that's education. For some, it's medicine. For some, it's politics. For others, it's business. For others, it's their workplace or their school. And so when I, when I think about Jeremiah and I ask the question, there was only one Jeremiah. There was only, this, this guy was unique and so, so are you, so are we. But God did something in him that he, he longed to do in others and yet Jeremiah responded and the others didn't. Well, here's the question. What does it take to become a Jeremiah prophet to the nations? What does it take? What does it take for someone to be able to, to speak into the ears of civic leaders and national leaders and business leaders? What does it take? But it starts, it starts and, and as we read in Jeremiah chapter 1, we, we, we read the opening verse says this, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Jeremiah was raised in a, in a home where his dad's job was essentially to minister the word of God. This week, Kim and I had the wonderful privilege of hosting Pastor Ted Heaston from Springfield, Missouri, and he's a part of Global University, and he was such a nice gentleman. He had been a pastor for over 40 years, and... and now works for Global University, which ICI College is the Australian office of. And, and he said that when he started out in his ministry, he told God one thing because he felt he fought the call of God. This is what he told us. And it wasn't until later on in his life that he yielded and said, okay, God, I'll serve you. On the one condition that, which is always interesting when you negotiate with God, isn't it? On the one condition that as a pastor, you never put me into a building program. So the first church he went to was 150 people and it very quickly grew, he said, to several hundred and he realised several hundred people in a building that held 150 doesn't work and, and he realised they had to do a building program. And they did the building program and the church grew in a very small rural community to 700 people in his church and he thought, okay, you've got a sense of humour, God. You've put me through the very thing I said I didn't want to do. He then went from there to a place called Kenosha in, uh, near, near Chicago. And that was a church of 1,200 people. And when he arrived, they said, oh, good, we need a building program. 
and he had to do how many millions was it? Was it twenty million dollar building program? And today that church is a five and a half thousand member church. Twenty million dollars, fully paid for now. And then he went from there to Tulsa, Oklahoma and had to do another building program and that was his 40 years of pastoral ministry, one building program after another. And you'd think after a while you'd realise it doesn't matter how much you protest. God's call on your life comes with gifts that he enables you to do what he's called you to do. And Jeremiah certainly found that. But he grew into this. And this is one of the things as we've journeyed through Jeremiah and we're into the the 40s now of, of, of the book, the chap- chapters 40s, and we've seen Jeremiah go from someone who was complaining, someone who was expressing, I can't do this. Jeremiah became a man of God who grew to trust God. He came to understand that God's commands are not God's prohibitions as much as they are God's liberties. He came to understand that the commands of God are meant to bring fullness of life, not to restrict your enjoyment of it. He began to feel the word that God had put on his heart to share. And so he went from being this this timid, shy, reluctant man to becoming someone who was consumed with a passion and a love for God He cared about God's word. In the early chapters of Jeremiah, he tries to quit and resign and tell God it's all too hard and he can't do it. And God every time just reassigns him and just tells him get out there and keep going. And it's a marvellous, a marvellous biblical insight into how God treats people who are battling with mental illness and how activity can sometimes be very therapeutic. But then God was not only doing something through Jeremiah because he began to have the courage to take on kings and speak to kings. And we see that he reigned or he, he prophesied during the reign of four kings of Judah. But there's also, God was doing something in Jeremiah, not just through him. And when we see that Jeremiah went from being this shy, timid man who had so many doubts, we see that he was able to speak to nations. He was imprisoned on several occasions and he continued to be faithful. In the early days of his youth, he complained and he whinged and he moaned. And then by about his second or third imprisonment, he worshipped. And he was becoming the man God had called him to be. God was doing something in him. And we pick up this this story where Jeremiah is very young, 11, 12 years of age, when this prophetic call starts on his life. And as he is growing into a young man, late teens, early 20s, going through all the complaints and the the negatives, God's doing something in him. And as he's decrying the city and the people of the city and the people of Judah, the, the southern part of Israel, for their immorality, for their idolatry and their ignorance. It's not just a scolding, bony finger of a prophet trying to bring guilt on a people. It's a prophet now 
who begins to feel the weight of their guilt and shame and what it does to the heart of God. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1, and this is why he's called the weeping prophet. Most of his prophecies are given through tears. And he says, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain daughter of my people. Because he's saying, Remember, Israel, back here in Deuteronomy, we, through our forefathers, said we will serve the Lord, we will honour him, we will enter into a covenant relationship with him. And we agreed to that. And in here, in Deuteronomy, it says that if we ever stop doing that, God would lift his hand off us and other nations would come in and take us out of this land. And Jeremiah is saying, we have stopped doing the covenant and God's hands are lifting from us and another nation will come in. The Babylonians will come in. And at that time, as I've told you, at that time, Babylon was not a world power. And so what Jeremiah was prophesying as a 17, 18-year-old sounded utterly ridiculous. And then it began to happen. And Jeremiah wasn't happy about it. He was heartbroken. He felt what he was sharing. He deeply cared for the people that he was sharing with. Can I just say we need something of that compassion for the people we're trying to reach? We don't want to be the people that are always writing letters to the editor and complaining on Facebook and having a whinge and always bemoaning the darkness. We want to be a people who cry and weep over the darkness and feel the great urgency to shed light in the darkness, to be able to not get distracted by that and to set an agenda that will bring people to God and hopefully... That's what we're going to do with Easter. With the coming of Jeff Swearing and Roy Williams and Peter Shirley, I think we've got a great lineup and we're going to reach out to the business community Thursday morning and civic leaders and then Friday night. But I hope we can see 1,200 people in the Albert Hall. That will be a record for this city. A record. A record if we can do that. He goes on and Jeremiah says... Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. And this was, this was so characteristic of his early ministry. He was complaining. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Because as much as Jeremiah was prophesying and, and pleading with the people to repent, they didn't. And he felt like a failure. And all the false prophets are encouraging the people into idolatry, immorality, and ignoring God's word, ignorance. And Jeremiah's, what's going on, God? They're prospering and I'm not. This is not how it works. And we see Jeremiah going through this battle and then I love this prayer that he prays. Because have you ever been confused? Have you ever been serving God and you thought it would go this way and it didn't? And Jeremiah prays this prayer and I have underlined, highlighted this prayer in just about every Bible I have and it's a great prayer. Correct me, O Lord, in justice 
or other translations have, in gentleness. Not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Living Bible says, correct me, but do it gently. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> do it gently. And we see this man go from confusion to being someone who really feels, it's, yes, it's about you and your glory, but I care about these people, God. I'm pleading with them to repent, and they're not repenting. These are people who claim to know you, and yet they sleep around. They drink to excess. They worship the wrong things because they're not in the temple on, on the Sabbath. They're off doing their own thing, which is a statement of worship. You being here today is a statement of worship. And Jeremiah was heartbroken over this. So we see toward the end of the book of Jeremiah, he's vindicated and everything he said would happen, happened. And we get to the end of the book of Jeremiah and he's a man now in his late 60s, early 70s, who served God faithfully all his life. And here's the question I just want to ask now. If Jeremiah was called, and I suspect each one of us has a call from God too, and I suspect God has given each of us certain gifts and abilities that he wants us to use for his glory. And if we see in Jeremiah someone who was reluctant because they were fearful of people and afraid of what others thought, What's holding you back from serving God? What fear, as we heard from the prophetic word this morning, is holding you back from serving God faithfully? God's word says this, 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support. I think the NIV says strength. To those whose heart is blameless toward him. In other words, to those who seek him. And simply say this. God, use me. I'm just a housewife. I'm just a worker. I'm just a nobody. But use me. Would you pray with me? Father... I pray that for my life. And I pray, Lord, for everyone in this church, everyone listening to me now within the sound of my voice, something might say, something might rise up in their heart that says, God, your word says that you will strengthen those who seek you. Your word says that you will strengthen them to the task that you have for them. So, Lord, I pray that there will be people here who are part of football clubs who stand up and say, God, use me in that club. That there will be people here at schools who will say, God, use me in this school. There will be people who meet with other mothers for, for tea or coffee, whatever, use me to reach these mums. There are some of you, and you meet broken people every day of your week. You meet damaged people, hurt, hurting people every day. And you've been mute. You've been a silent witness. No longer be afraid. But right now in this moment, say, God, use me. I need your strength to be able to do what you have called me to do. 
And I pray, Lord, young and old, we would all surrender completely to you and become fully devoted to you and your service. Now, Lord, for those who have never surrendered to you, I pray for them that they would do so. And if that's you, you've never given your life to Christ. You may feel a million miles from him, but you're not. You're only one step, and that step is a prayer. No matter how far you've run, no matter what you've done, who you've done it with, how many times you've done it, or who you're doing it with, it can stop now and you can turn your life around with one prayer asking God for help. A prayer that says, oh God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die in my place and to help me to live the kind of life that you want me now to live. Please come into my life and help me to live for you, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So that's what God did through Jeremiah. What can he do through you? And are you willing to respond to such a call? More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, What It Takes to Become a Jeremiah Prophet to the Nations, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.